0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: And we well, welcome those of you in the room. It is good to see you. And that is the biggest understatement I have ever said in my life. We are glad that you are back. And for those of you online joining us, man, we are glad that you are here as well with 12 Stone Home. You're jumping in all across the world and being a part of what God's doing here today. Excited for that. I do need to say, man, welcome to the kiddos in the room. Saw a lot of kiddos when I was walking in. Glad you are here. Uh, I remember growing up, attending church with my parents, sitting in the service, bored out of my mind. Uh, But I'm praying that God would do something in your life today as well as you're here tuning in. Well, we've been going after the book of Jonah together, studying it, walking through chapter by chapter, uh, looking at revival and what, what that actually means for us. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Pull them out, get your digital uh, device as well. We're going to Jonah chapter 3 here today. It's in between Obadiah and Micah. Uh, That probably doesn't help most of us. Just go to the table of contents, no shame, and find Jonah in there. We're going to dive in. But if you've missed where we've been in the past two weeks, we want to get you caught up with kind of an overview from Pastor Jason from week one that gives you a glimpse into what God is doing through the book of Jonah in each and every one of us. Check this out.
2: See, Jonah is so much more than a children's story. See, inside the book of, of Jonah, we're going we're gonna to talk about rebellion. And we're going to talk about repentance. We're going to talk about revival. And we're going to talk about resentment. In fact, those are the four weeks of this series. Today, I'm hitting the topic of rebellion. Next week, Pastor Kevin is going to talk about repentance. And then we're going to walk through revival and resentment. And I think, listen, I believe that God wants to use this series in the life of this church. You are here at a phenomenal time. In fact, The core of the story of Jonah is really about revival. Everybody here in the chat, 12 Stone Home, I want you to say revival on three. One, two, three. Revival. See, now when you say that word, depending on where and how you grew up, that word either makes you smile or makes you cringe, right? I can't help but hear the word revival in a southern accent. Revival. I can't help but hear it that way. But let me, just just to be clear, I, wanna, I want us just to be on the same page. When I say revival, let me tell you what I mean. Let's put this up on the screen. Here's what revival is. It's a supernatural move of God where the church wakes up to God's agenda and the world bows to Jesus. Let me break this down. Revival is a supernatural move of God, meaning we don't do this. We can't make it happen. That's why we pray. It's God's agenda where the church wakes up to God's agenda. That's y'all. That's you, 12-stone home, where we wake up to God's amazing agenda, and then the world bows to Jesus. And listen, the order matters.
1: That's right, and that's where we've been. We've talked about the rebellion of Jonah, running away from God's calling on his life. We've talked about repentance and what that looks like for you and I. And today, we get to talk about what Jason said. We finally arrive at revival. See? A supernatural move of God, where the church wakes up to God's agenda, and the world bows to Jesus. Now, if I could be honest, when we plan series at Twelve, so when we sit down, we break it down. We try to figure out, Man, what what is each week going to look like. And when I began to discover that I was going to be teaching the third week of this, and it was landing on revival, I was worried. If I had to admit, I'm a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to a topic like this. You see, I've, I've seen pastors like Pastor Kevin P.K. And, and Jason and all these other pastors are going, man, God's telling me there's going to be a revival. And I just felt like God was keeping a secret for me or something. I'm like, God, where you at? Like, tell me. I want to know. And so I was worried about having to teach a topic like this. Here today, so much so that I started praying right away. God, you are going to have to do something to me because I, I, I don't know what I am going to teach. This past Monday, I had the opportunity to go visit a church in Tennessee and just spend some time with their staff, and it was a great moment, great fun. Kind of came back from that trip and just I sensed the presence of God and, and just a movement and things going on, and I talked to Cassie about this this unique presence of God. It was weird. We prayed about it, and I I went to bed. Now, I am... My skeptic side is coming out right now. When I hear pastors or people say, man, I had a dream. God gave me a dream. I'm like, peace out. Like, that's just weird. Like... Not me. I don't even know if I believe in that kind of stuff. But that Monday night, God did something and gave me just this dream. It was weird. I don't even know how to describe it. Please don't ask me to. Just a bunch of different images of Nashville City that I was up in, that we were visiting, that I was visiting. And everywhere I looked, on the buildings, on the walls, in the sky, was the reference of Hosea 14, four, and I just, it was everywhere inside of this dream. And then when I woke up, I was like, that was weird. Like what in the world? And so I'm like, I have to look this up. So I grabbed my Bible to open up and to look it up. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no Hosea 14. There's no way that book's that long. Like what? And then I looked up the verse and, and, and this is what it says. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them." Yeah, you can clap. Two things happened in that moment when I read that. First of all, I was like, holy crap, that's amazing. Uh, I don't know if I can say that, I just did. I felt the Holy Spirit immediately say, text that to Kevin Queen. That's his territory. I entrusted that to him. So I sent a text to KQ and just, man, God gave me a dream. It's weird. That's what it was. And the second thing that God kind of said to me in that moment was, Sean, the question is not, will I bring a revival? The question is, will you participate so, church, as we talk about revival today, I don't want to talk about will God bring a revival? What is he gonna do? Here's what I want to say: the question for every single one of us today, what I'm teaching at, the perspective we're going after for Jonah chapter three, is not will God bring a revival, the question is, will you participate? See, he's doing something. He's going to. He already is. Will you jump in? As we read Jonah chapter three, we're gonna look at the mystery. Of one of the greatest revivals in human history ever recorded. We're going to look at the mechanics of how Jonah describes what he walked through and how we can walk the same way when it comes to revival and discover that God is offering us the opportunity to participate in what's coming. And the question is, will we? So you have your Bibles already open. Jonah chapter three, We'll start there. But as we jump into this chapter and begin to read and discover what God has for us today, uh, here's how chapter two ends where we were last week. It says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry land. When I read that, deep down inside of me, I, I think to myself, man, I hope somebody saw that. Like, that's just crazy. Like, some fish head just popped up. It's like, oh, there's Jonah. But that would be just nuts. But Jonah, after his repentance is spit out, and that's where we pick up in Jonah chapter three, verse one, as we finally get to this revival that Jonah has been called to go to and what God is about to do. So Jonah chapter three, verse one, I'll read. You can follow along and we'll break it down as we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Aren't you grateful for a God that gives second chances? Aren't you? Man, you just got to be grateful for that. We have a God that we serve that gives us second chances. It's like a mulligan in golf. It feels so undeserved, but it feels so good to do it again. And God didn't have to do that for Jonah. He didn't have to give him a do-over. He didn't have to keep using it. He could have left him in the belly to die. But we serve a God of second chances. In fact, I want to say is I think too many people Give up on their faith because they feel like God has given up on them. And I want you to hear today, there is no expiration date to the grace of God. Jesus Christ is still offering here today forgiveness of your sins. He offers it every single day. Still offering it to you. Just go to him. Confess your sin. Repent. He is still there waiting. He has never given up on you. He's chasing you as we've seen with Jonah. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is from Reverend William Banks. He says this, "We are moved to speak of Jonah's God as the God of the second chance, but honest sober reflection compels the saint to speak of him as the God of the 999th chance." He keeps going, "Such gracious gracious mercy as was extended to Jonah here and to David and to the thief dying upon the cross and to Peter." surely it has been granted to all believers through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We serve a God that loves us so deeply. Amen. Amen. It continues. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now notice that it doesn't, change what it says from the first moment where God shows up with Jonah. I mean, it doesn't say, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, go to the great city of Joppa. Nope, it still says Nineveh. And here's the thing about second chances that we have to understand. God will always take you right back to the place you said no until you say yes. Always going to bring you right back to the same exact spot you said no, so you have an opportunity to say yes which is often the last place we want to go, isn't it? Because that's where our shame and our guilt is sitting. Because we've repented, but we know what we've done is so wrong that we don't want to have to face that moment again with God. But he's always going to bring you back to that place you said no until you say yes. You're never further away from God than when you're close to him and you say no. God is inviting us back to the moments we say no, to say yes, to be obedient to his calling on our lives. When I was a young pastor, some of you are like, still are. Uh, When I was a young pastor, just starting off about 10, 12 years ago, one of the greatest areas that I said no to God in my life was, was praying for people. Now, I wasn't praying for people in church or people that I knew. It was the moments where I'm just kind of walking around out in public, and I don't know this person, and God's like, pray for them. I would always say no. I'm just like, nope, not happening. Just some insecurity inside of me, not knowing what would happen, not having the right words. Ever been there? I mean, that that was it for me. Well, God kept bringing me back to the place I said no until I would say yes. In fact, there was one significant moment that God did this, that I learned a very important lesson when it comes to obedience and, and following God and his prompts. I was on an airplane. I can't remember where I was coming back from, uh, but I was flying on this airplane and airplane the flight attendant, uh, this woman was walking back and forth, taking care of people as we're flying. We're in the middle of the flight. And I felt this press from God, just this voice inside of my head, bringing me back to my note, just saying, Sean, I want you to pray for her. You need to pray for her. And I sat in my seat and just, there's no way I'm doing this. Not going to happen. Look at all these people. Everybody's around us. Uh, This is just awkward. Uh, No, thank you. And God just kept pressing in. I'm sweating at this point. And finally, I've resolved. I'm going to wait till everybody leaves the plane and then pray for this woman when nobody else is around. But God's like, nope, right now, right here. I need you to do this. Oh, man. I finally got the courage to, to obey. I stood up kind of walked up to her in the aisle and started to pray. Now, have you ever had a moment where you just felt like the presence of God fell and all time stood still? This was not this moment, <laughs> I promise. I started praying for this woman on my like, Oh, God, uh, watch over her, protect her, keep her safe, and Father, she's great. And, and I opened my eyes, and everyone in the plane's looking at me. Everyone. They're like, look at this. What is he doing? Are you kidding me? And I see this. I start sweating. So at that point, I'm like, in Jesus' name, man. Go back to my seat, and I'm like, what was that, God? What? You asked me to pray for a woman, and I obey. And that's what you do. What? Hey, and you know, to this day, I don't even know what that was about. But I will say this: I, I learned a very important lesson in this moment about obedience, and it's this. Faith isn't believing despite evidence. Faith is obeying despite consequence. It's obeying no matter what. It's saying, I heard the voice of God, I can sense it in my soul, I'm in the Word, I'm spending time with the Lord, and I know He's telling me to do this. I'm gonna obey no matter what the consequence is. See, God is always going to take you back, like Jonah, to the place you said no until you say yes. And some of us here today, man, we're stuck spiritually, we're just spinning our tires trying to move forward, get closer to God, and we just can't do it. And what if it's today because God is just looking at you going, listen, it's just because I'm taking you back to that same place where you keep saying no until you say yes. Some of us are crying out God, God, I just want a better marriage. Can I just have a better marriage? And God's going, sure, great. Yeah, we'll move forward. Let's just go back to where you said no to serving your spouse first. Some of us want a better job. God, just give me a better job. and God's going, sure, yeah, we can do that. Let's go back to the place you said no about witnessing to that person that I put next to you in your current job. See, we want to move forward, but God's going to continue to take us back to the place we said no until we say yes. And in church, just this, a revival will not take place until God's people go back to where they said no and say yes. So what he requires... Obedience despite consequence. Just follow. Just say yes. Get back to that place. Repent as Jonah did, and he'll bring you right back there till you say yes. And That's what we're called to do. Let me ask. Where is God right now asking you to say yes where you've been saying no? That's the word he has for you today. That's what he wants to speak inside of your life continues. It said, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Verse three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days in Nineveh will be Overthrown. Now you got to get this picture because if you look at the story, and we know it's a true story, this is historical. Jesus even references it as that. Uh, because Jonah was in the belly of a whale, a whale, a fish, big fish, whatever you want to call it, uh, he would have been flooded by gastric acid the entire time over his body. And science says when he was spit out, he would have been glowing white. The pigmentation in his skin would have been white. His hair, everything would have been glowing. So literally, he shows up to Nineveh, and scripture even says it's a sign to them that this guy shows up and proclaims this, and they're like, what? Looking at this white guy reflecting all of this light and glowing like an angel, and he says an eight-word message. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Actually, it's five words in the Hebrew. We're going to come back to this because this isn't very good. Like, If you're going to give a sermon, not great. We're going to come back back to why that's so significant. But it continues, verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed, despite the terrible presentation. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. What made them believe? I mean, right? Don't you just ask the question, what made them believe? It wasn't that great what he said. Well, obviously, God, in his sovereignty, had already been working on this nation, had already been working in their lives. And so he takes these eight words and made them uh, extremely powerful. Verse 7, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sack, sackcloth. As soon as I read this, I, I can't help but say, what did the cows do to deserve this? Like, they can't eat either. But it, when you, if, if you didn't know this, whenever a cow is hungry, what does it do? It moos. Moo. Move. It's terrible. And imagine all of this All of this flock, all of these animals, all of these cows that are starving, they start mooing louder and louder. And what they were doing is they were so great in their humiliation, so great in in, in their repentance that they wanted the atmosphere to reflect that. And so as they're mourning, these cows are just mooing everywhere. Cattle's going crazy because they're starving. But it's just a reflection of how deep their repentance was, how much they wanted God in their lives. Just added to the atmosphere. It's why we watch the movie Notebook when we're sad. which just like, adds to the effect. Verse 8. It's actually funny. I don't know. Maybe not. Verse 8 continued. And let them call out mightily to God. Again, mightily, they're in humiliation and repentance. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Why? Because God overflows with compassion and mercy. It's who he is. He does not celebrate in wrath. He celebrates in mercy and repentance when we give our lives back to him and surrender to him and obey him. That is what God is all about. And we finally Witness the revival of Jonah that we've been reading about, hearing about. And it's in verse. Uh- Chapter four, verse one, that hints at how large this revival actually is. It talks about how there was 120,000 people that didn't know their right hand from their left. and most scholars believe that means it was children. There are 120,000 some children in this city. So they believe an estimated amount of 500,000 to 600,000 people repented in that moment and gave their life to God and surrendered to him. If you're trying to find something comparable in your head, that is the population of Atlanta, Georgia. Huge revival in this moment. And now, let me ask you a question. Can I just, let me ask this right here? Don't you want to see God do it again? Yeah, yeah, I didn't hear you. On the chat, you, you, you chime in here in this room. Don't you want to see God do that again? Yes? Come on. I want to see God move in a way I've never seen him move before, and I believe he's going to do that, and he wants to do that. He's asking us, Will you participate? Now, hear me. Let me be very clear on this. You cannot manufacture a revival, you can't do it. Jonah was not the source of the revival, he was the source of the message. Big difference. God had already ordained and predestined this moment for Nineveh to be saved. And so knowing that, what I want to do is I I want to bring this to earth for you and I here today. Make this tangible, practical. What would it look like for us to participate in a revival based on what we've read from Jonah and his experiences? And to do that, I want to talk about the greatest area we often say no to God in our faith, evangelism, sharing our faith. Many of us often, including myself, have moments where we look at God and we're like, oh, this is so awkward. I don't think I'm going to share it now. And we hold back from sharing our faith with the people around us. In fact, I've heard a definition of evangelism, of sharing our faith, that always makes me laugh every time I see it. And it's this, two very nervous people talking to each other. That's evangelism, two very nervous people talking to one another. But God is inviting us into evangelism, to sharing our faith with with those around us in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families. And so often we pull back and say no. And so let's practically look look at what just happened in Jonah and how that can encourage us to share our faith. See, I think to become an effective witness, it's believing two things that are found inside of this story. And they're right here. Uh, Put them on the screen. It's first, salvation belongs to the Lord. And second, faith comes only by hearing. And if we would believe this and understand this, we could become effective witnesses for God in sharing our faith as a part of a revival. So let's go to the first one Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah preached an eight word sermon that was awful, and his heart wasn't even in it, and he didn't even want to be there. And 500 to 600,000 people get saved. Here it is again what he said. Walks up to Nineveh and says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Encouraging. He didn't even have keys playing behind him, setting the mood. Didn't have a good introduction. Didn't even have a good outro. Just here it is. No key words of repent or anything like this. How is that even possible that something so terrible made such an impact? Listen, I've had moments where I've walked up on a stage and in great humility, great humility, thought to myself, this is an amazing sermon that I'm gonna give today. Like God is gonna do incredible things and I give it and nothing happens. Like just lands flat. I've had moments where I've walked up on a stage, like every teacher, where I thought to myself, man, this is the worst teaching ever. I feel so bad for these people, uh, but let's do it. And I do it and God moves in incredible ways. What is going on inside this. There can be moments in your life where you give the best demonstration of the gospel and share it with someone, and they never respond. And there's going to be moments where you give a terrible demonstration of the gospel, and they respond in incredible ways. And what we have to understand is that God is the one that is doing the work inside of this. Uh, here's some scripture that points to this for us to read today. He says, no man can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit." It's the Holy Spirit that's working in them. Uh, Go to the next. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Another one, he says this No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. That's Jesus. See, take a deep breath because it is not your responsibility to convince someone to give their lives to Christ, it's not your responsibility. We're not trying to make skeptics believe. We're not trying to transform bad people to good people. We're trying to help dead people be raised to life through Jesus Christ. And only God can do that. Let that weight go off of your shoulders for just a moment. And here's what matters. It's that people are not converted by our articulate words and persuasive ability, but by the power of God. That's it. Let's go to the second one. Faith comes only by hearing. It's in the moment that they hear the word of God, Jonah's voice, but the words of God through them, that that they believe. Romans chapter 10, Paul talks about how it's through hearing that we have faith, hearing the word of God. It's our responsibility to get the word in front of people. So knowing and believing these two things that are true in the book of Jonah, what do we do practically? Here's what we do. Three things, that if we would do these three things, we would watch God Move, get the word of God into people's hands, pray like crazy and say yes to God. Write them down. I want you to write these down. You want to be a part and participate in a revival that God's going to bring? It's through these three ways. Get the word of God into people's hands, pray like crazy and say yes to God. The first one, get the word of God into people's hands. I mean, you've got to have the word of God in your heart to get it in people's hands. It's got to be in you. This is not just a book. This is the power of God. When it is read, it transforms people's lives. This is written by human hand, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every single word, every single jot and tittle, every single mark is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is from God himself to you. There is power inside of us. Our goal should not be that every person around us says yes to Jesus. Ultimately, that's on God. We want that to happen. Our goal is to get the word in front of them so the power of God can transform their lives. Got to get the word in front of people. And the second thing we got to do is pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. Here's what I mean. Prayer is not trying to overcome the reluctance of God. Prayer is laying in, pressing into the willingness of God. God is not up in heaven going, man, if they would just pray more, I would do more. No, God wants to do this. He's pressing it. He wants to transform lives. He wants people to say yes to him. He wants to see this world transformed by his love. He's not reluctant up in heaven. He's willing. We got to start like picking up his compassion and putting it in front of his face saying, God, move because you're so compassionate because that's who you are. Let me ask you a question. In this book of Jonah, who was the problem and who was stopping the revival? Jonah. God wanted to do it. Jonah was the problem. We have to pray knowing that God is going to bring a revival and pray and ask God to show us how can we participate, how can we be a part of this in the process. And let me ask this question. If God answered every single one of your prayers from last week, how many new people would be in the kingdom of God? If your answer is no one, then we, as a church, we got to start asking the question, do we really understand the gospel? This is about reaching the lost and them stepping into the kingdom of heaven and Jesus transforming their hearts. Last one is, say yes to God. As I close today, like Jonah, God is going to bring you back to the places you say no until you say yes. And if we want to be a part and participate in this revival that is coming, we have to say yes. Now, I wanted to give you a visual of what being a part of like a revival could look like. Because I look at the story of Jonah and I go, man, I, I don't think I'm Jonah. Jonah. I don't think I'm the guy that says five words in Hebrew, eight words in our English translation and 600,000 people fall on their face and and repent and turn to God. I don't think I'm that guy. So what does it look like for the everyday, average day person, follower of Jesus Christ to be a part of a revival like you and I? Let me show you what I think it might look like. See, last week I went on a vacation uh, with my family down to Florida and the place we stayed at had a box of dominoes. And any kids in the room love dominoes, probably love maybe online. You guys love dominoes. And the funny thing is you never actually play the game. I don't know that I've actually played the game what it's meant for. What do you do, man? You take that box and, and you pour it out and you start stacking them up next to one another and then knocking them over and having some fun with that as it, as it does that process. And when I was there with my kids, We just poured out the box of dominoes. And here's what I did. If you ever build a line of dominoes, you fear everyone else that's helping because they're the ones that are going to knock it over, right? And and so what I did is I kind of just hoarded all the dominoes and gave my kid two. I'm like, have fun. I'm like, don't don't you dare mess with what I'm doing. And the whole time I'm stacking them up and getting them ready. And and my boy Beck is like, dad, come on. Like, give me some dominoes, man. This is no fun. And, And I'm like, hey, listen. If you can handle that and demonstrate that you can handle that, you can be a part of what I'm doing over here. And he's just stacking up two and just knocking them over, like looking at me like, really? This is ridiculous. Can I tell you something? Do you know what praying for that flight attendant felt like to me? It felt like God was moving all those dominoes over and going, here you go, Sean, right there stacked up, ready to go. And I knocked them over and I'm like, are you kidding me? What just happened? What if? What if what we experience inside of this revival that's coming feels like a heavenly father constantly handing you two dominoes that are already set up And all he's looking for is you to simply say yes and knock them down. And it's going to feel confusing. You're not going to have all the answers. You're only going to see probably what you just experienced. And God's just going to keep handing them to you. Go ahead and knock them over. That's it. Yeah, you just keep saying yes. Keep saying yes. And we get handed just the smallest piece of what God's doing. And all the while, what's really happening is something like this. God is just moving in this world transforming lives, setting things up, using the season of confusion in our lives to, to, to get us ready for what he wants to do. And we keep just pressing these two over saying yes, and we can't fully see the full picture of what God's about to do. I wonder, I think that might be what it looks like and feels like to be a part of a revival that's coming, that God is bringing for you to participate is to go back to the place where you said no and simply say yes. Despite the consequences, despite the outcome, to just trust your heavenly Father that he's doing more than you can possibly imagine or see. So I want to close by praying for you. I want to pray for the areas that immediately have come to mind today where you've been saying no. And I'm gonna pray for the courage and strength for you to walk out today from your homes, from your car, from this place and simply say yes to God, trusting that he has something going on that we can't fully see yet. So let me pray for you. So Heavenly Father, we do, we pray for that very thing. It almost feels weird to say, I believe a revival is coming, but God, I believe it. I am in. God, I pray for everyone here, everyone watching across the world, across the nation, in their homes, meeting with others at Twelve Stone Home. Would you, would you breathe into them this reality that God, you're about to do something. We don't know when it's going to be. We, we, you're probably already doing it. You've probably already started. We can't fully see it, but Father, you are inviting us to participate, and that is simply by picking up the dominoes that you've given us, picking up the situation you placed in our hands, and saying yes in obedience no matter what. So Father, be with us. We trust you with it. May we walk in obedience to your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.